members of Good Shepherd Congregation, family and friends that have gathered here this morning, and especially to you, Vernita, grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation this morning, Philippians chapter 3. I wish we could read the whole book. There are so many things that apply directly and indirectly to Gerald's life. But I want to focus in on these words, Philippians 3, 17 to 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things unto himself. So far our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't think I could have picked a more appropriate sermon hymn for our service this morning. When we met, just, uh, well, I guess it's a little over a week ago now. The days over these last three months have all come together. They're all mixed up. But when we talked about planning this service, and Cheryl and Vernita said, hymn three, 730, what is the world to me? It just clicked in my brain. I can't think of a better hymn to sing today, I can't think of a better hymn that sums up maybe some of the things that are going on in our world. I can't think of a better hymn on a day when we remember and give thanks for the child of God we knew as Gerald Gertis. What is the world to me? That's probably a question that you haven't thought about. That's the question for today. What is the world to you? Well, I suppose part of it is how you define world. It may be that the world to you is absolutely nothing. You're tired of this mess that we've been dealing with for months. You're ready to check out. You're ready to move away. The world, you're done with it. I'm out of here. And sadly, some have taken that I'm out of here literally. What is the world to me? Maybe you see the world as a means to an end. The things in this world, maybe even the 
people in this world as things to be used and manipulated and milked dry so that you can accomplish for yourself power, prestige, a name, money, wealth. The world is a means to an end. And that end glorifies you. What is the world to me? Maybe the world is everything. Everything in the world is important. The things of this world, your stuff, is your God. Eat, drink, and be merry, because then you die. So all of the things in this world, whether it be your work or your recreation or again your stuff, your wealth, these are the things that are the most important and everything and everybody else must take a back seat. What is the world to me? We sang these words. What is the world to me with all its vaunted pleasures? Verse 2 starts out, the world seeks to be praised and honored by the mighty, yet never once reflects that they are frail and flighty. Verse 3, the world seeks after wealth and all that mammon, mammon is a fancy word for stuff, and all that mammon offers, yet never is content though gold should fill its coffers. I love that rhyme. No peace. No contentment. When the world means nothing or is a means to an end or means everything. God's Word teaches us that the world is a gift. A gift from a gift-giving God for you, for me, for people. A gift. Everything that God has created, pure gift. Everything that God has made and continues to make, including you. Knit and crafted in your mother's womb. Pure gift. What do we do with gifts? We use them. We enjoy them. We cherish them. We give thanks for them. Pure gift. Now, you might be thinking there's a bit of a contradiction here. For those of you that are Lutheran or have come across a Lutheran now and again, you may know that Luther teaches us that we have an unholy trinity out there attacking us, trying to get us to turn our back on God. That unholy trinity is the devil the world and our flesh. So what is it? 
What is the world to me? Is it a gift of God to be used and nurtured and enjoyed? Or is the world an enemy trying to tear me out of the nail-scarred hands of Jesus? The answer is yes. Yes. We know that any gift that we receive can be abused or misused. If you receive the gift of a new bicycle and put that bicycle behind mom or dad's car or truck and they back out and don't see it, what happens to the bicycle? It's ready for the junk heap. What happens if you get a gift of cash and you put it neatly inside of a book and put that book on the shelf and never touch that book for the next, oh, 50 years. Somebody else will enjoy that gift when they buy your book at the estate sale. Every gift can be abused and misused. God has given us the gift of this world, all of creation, and it is pure gift. He wants us to use this gift. He wants us to enjoy this gift. He wants us to be happy and satisfied and sharing and thankful with this gift of all that we have in the world. But there's a problem. And that problem is called sin. Instead of using and enjoying the gifts that God gives us, pride, selfishness, greed, jealousy, anarchy, all of these things continue to attack us. Sometimes from the inside out. The same temptation that Satan brought to Adam and Eve, you can be like God, is the same temptation that Satan can use through the gifts of God through the world to tempt and attack us. In our Bible reading for today from Philippians 3, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. How true that is for each one of us at times. Our eyes, our minds, our hearts too often are set on the things of this world rather than on the things of God. My friends, when Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan and sin and all of its consequences came crashing down into this world, God could have looked at the mess that they made out of his perfect creation. He could have sent them straight to hell. He could have wiped out the world and started over. He could have sat back and laughed, but instead, our gift-giving God continued to give. And he gave a promise 
A word of hope. A gospel word. One day, I will send into this now sin-filled world a Savior who will crush the serpent's head. Who will restore things to the way that I intended them to be. He will bring forgiveness, life, and salvation. Cling to that promise. Cling to that Savior. Cling to that Word. And you will live forever. No matter what curveballs the world will throw you. In my 60 plus years, I thought I had seen it all. And then came along a little thing like coronavirus. I was 10 years old in the long, hot summer of 68. I thought those days were long gone. History books. Now those demonstrations are on the streets of Lincoln, Nebraska. I thought I'd seen it all. What is the world? Well, the world's a mess. One day to the next, I don't know what to make of the world. You don't know what to make of the world. Who knows what tomorrow or next week or next month will bring. Earlier in our service, we spoke together the words of Psalm 46. Psalm 46, the Lord is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. King David wrote that psalm when his whole world was crashing down upon him. Martin Luther read that psalm when his whole world was crashing down upon him. And he wrote the hymn, A mighty fortress is our God. Take they our life, goods, fame, child, our wife. Though these all be gone, the victory has been won. My friends, today we come into God's house 88 days after Gerald's passing. Can't believe the world did that to us, but here we are. Thanks be to God. We're here now to hear God's Word. And we are in God's house to celebrate that victory. That victory that God gives. Remember our gift-giving God? That victory that God gives in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, whose perfect life, whose obedient death and glorious resurrection has paid for the sins of the world. All of the times when the world has been our idol or our God. All of the times when we wanted to check out of the world rather than engage. All of the times when we have taken the gifts of God and misused and abused them. For all these sins and more, Christ Jesus has bled and died. The victory is yours. The victory is Gerald's. What an amazing man. What an amazing man. I met him many, many years ago for the first time when I worked for AAL, pre-seminary days. 
I didn't know him well, but I knew him by reputation. Everybody, everybody thought the same. I titled this message, The Distinguished Gentleman, because that's exactly what he was and is in our memories. He's a good man, hardworking man, a man who when you think back over his life, lived a lifetime of service. You know how rare that is today? To think of somebody else before you think of self? It's so rare, it's shocking when you come upon it. Service to family. Service to country. Service to his community. Service to his clients. Service to the agents who were under him. Service to his church. A lifetime of service. What in the world would make a man live like that? A rare person? A unique cut of cloth? Really had a wonderful upbringing, my friends? Those things may or may not be true, but there is only one thing that can transform a poor, miserable sinner who is selfish by nature into a servant and someone who has a lifetime of service. The only thing that can make that transformation is the blood of Jesus Christ. Gerald was baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus, robed with Christ's righteousness. He took the gift of faith seriously. His lifetime of service was in joyous response to the forgiveness of sins that Christ had won for him. He had things in proper perspective. He saw people not as objects to be used and manipulated, but as an opportunity for service. He saw his family as a gift from God and an opportunity to share his good fortune and his love. Hopefully, over a sweet treat, like a piece of pie or a donut or rhubarb, you know. Gerald had things in perspective because he knew who he was. He knew that he was a poor, miserable sinner. And that only by the grace of God in Jesus Christ could he stand before a holy God. He fought, especially these last couple of years, he fought to get into God's house. 
always sitting about right over there. So happy to be in God's house. To hear God's word. To receive Christ's body and blood in and under bread and wine. And when he could not make the walk down to the communion rail, we would bring the Lord's Supper to him. He and Vernita both. The smile on his face, the peace and contentment that, that took over his body and that simple expression. Thank you. Thank you. What do you do when somebody gives you a gift? Thank you. My friends, today we're here in God's house. And we have an opportunity to remember and say goodbye to a good man. Remember, Gerald was good because Christ was first good to him. His example of service was lived because of the example of Christ's service for him. And so much more than an example. Christ, who took on real flesh and blood and defeated real sins, conquered over our greatest enemy, death itself, who delivers the deliverance to us in the waters of holy baptism and his holy and precious word. My friends, we have, we have a lasting legacy. It has nothing to do with stuff or money or achievements or awards or anything like that. We have the life of a good man who clung to his good shepherd, Jesus, even unto death. My friends, the victory is Gerald's because of Jesus. The victory is yours for the exact same reason. I know that Gerald would be extremely uncomfortable with people talking too much about him. Pastor, point them to Jesus. That is Gerald's legacy. Today, tomorrow, and forever. A truly distinguished gentleman. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our life in the world, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.